Welcome to MHM Podcast Network on MovieHouseMemories.com. Podcast for pod people. Our feature presentation begins now. You're listening to Lunchtime Movie Review from LunchtimeMovieReview.com. And we are the children of the 80s. Coming to you live from the Toxic Waste Dump in Santa Monica, California, it's the Lunchtime Movie Review. Each episode, we look back at one of our childhood favorites to see if it stands the test of time. I'm Chad. I'm not even good enough. Nobody will throw away this white boy. <laughs> uh, hello, I'm Shane. And today, we're reviewing 1990s Men at Work, written and directed by Emilio Estevez and starring Charlie Sheen. Emilio Estevez, Leslie Hope, Keith David, and in the role of a lifetime, Dean Effing Cameron. But before we begin, we have a word from our sponsor. I'm already sensing sexual tension between you and Dean Cameron, by the way. Uh, we'll get to that later. All right. Today's podcast is brought to you by Tricky Dick's Face Masks. When it comes to latex masks and official cover-ups, Tricky Dicks is head and shoulders above the rest. We have over 50 years of scandalous experience that will make you the envy of 80s industrialists everywhere. Tricky Dicks comes in all races, all genders, and all sizes, offering criminally fun times for the whole family. So knock them dead with Tricky Dicks face masks before it's too late. He's not a crook, by the way, people. Just thought I'd let you know. No, he's Tricky Dick. Okay, Chris, now since you've given us the commercial, do you have a summary for us? I did abbreviated one. Not that there's a whole lot to this film anyway. But I did do it spoiler-free because we want people to watch this one, right? Exactly. (laughs) All right. Men at Work. The movie, not Shane's Homeland music group. We come from a land down under. Are you going to be singing that for us? Shane, by the way, after hearing it on repeat for like 40 plus years, probably not. No, oh. it's I'm not a sorry. treasured song down under. Uh, it is, but not by me. Oh, they, they got sued for some local uh, band. They, uh, they stole the little flute rift or something. Do you know anything about that, Shane? Yeah, it was like a traditional song that they thought was ripped off and the, the, went out, went into court and went out just as fast. Oh. Okay. There's our Australia trivia for today. <laughs> they're a good band and they're still talked about. And Colin Hay, the lead actor, uh, lead um, singer, he still does a lot of acoustic shows. So mm-hmm. he's still, uh, I reckon he'd be getting royalties from that song down under for the rest of his life. Yeah, I watched one live sporting event from Australia a couple of years ago. One in a million. And who's <laughs> on it? Men at work. Opening up. It's like you see a Brazilian sporting event and they have that Mosquenada song. So, exactly. All right. On that note, men at work, Carl and James are two garbage men with little to no ambition. Sounds like I could be a garbage man. Uh, in his free time, Carl spies on neighbors with his binoculars. Someone's reading my diary. 
Uh, one night, he spots an un- unknown man accosting a cute female neighbor. She leaves the room, and Carl shoots the man with a pellet gun. Unbeknownst to him and his brother, who uh, are now hiding under the windowsill snickering, uh, two men come in and strangle that man to death and leave with his body. The next day, they find that dead man in a can on their route. Afraid they could be implicated for killing him, the boys hide him and then set out for the real killer with a crazed Vietnam vet named Lewis. The Thing. The man from The Thing. Love him. He lives. Actually, he he didn't live, did he? Spoiler alert. From there, they kidnap an innocent pizza man known for his acting talents and save the environment from the sinister 80s industrialists. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Oh, along the way, it's comedy gold. I forgot to mention that part. (laughs) I hope you didn't touch anybody's french fries while watching this. (laughs) I had five good fingers until I tried that shit. (laughs) There's a little bit of Weekend at Bernie's in there as well. Oh my God, I thought it was like Weekend at Bernie's 3. I don't, well, which one came out first, this or the Weekend at Bernie's sequel? Because Weekend at Bernie's was 89, was it? Uh, I think so. Yes, yeah, it was. And I think the sequel is about two years after. So that would mean that Men at Work came out first. I would say Men at Work would be the better Weekend at Bernie's sequel because that number two really sucked. So is that our summary? That's our summary. All right. I was just checking. Yeah. yeah I no, I told you brief. Yeah, I had too much content. If I gave you the extended version, it probably would have been two sentences more. Oh, no, well done, Chris. I'm glad it wasn't blow by blow. I I was so worried. I'm usually into uh, like two, three-hour commentaries or uh, critiques and uh, all that. Okay, well, I'm back. All right, well, Men at Work was released on August the 24th of the year 1990 in 962 theaters. Guess where I was on August the 24th, 1990. Uh, not sitting in the theater watching Men at Work. I was. I saw it opening oh, day. Yeah. Oh, boy. We'll get, we'll get to you in a little bit then. Let's see. It earned $3,184,000 that weekend. It finished a whopping seventh place at the box office. Uh, the number one film that weekend was a new release also. It was Shane's favorite comic book movie ever, Dark Man, which earned right at $8 million. Other okay. films in the theater that week were Ghost, Flatliners, Presumed Innocent, My Blue Heaven, and Chris's all-time favorite horror flick, The Exorcist 3. That scene in My Blue Heaven in the grocery store is great yes yes steve is awesome in that movie i like that one crazy movie how come we Let's haven't see. reviewed that one yet uh i think it's it's somewhere in the pecking order we'll have to get to that but see this what's funny is the second weekend this movie was opened uh moved up to a thousand and thirty five theaters and earned three million dollars even uh which was funny i mean it almost did exactly what it did the first weekend just more theaters very odd answering the question what happens if nobody sits in a theater do they still run the movie the answer they is do. yes 
they do. Uh, they had to when this came out because it would have been on 35 mil and you can't just rewind the projector. So what? when I worked at the cinema, they played it for about 10, 15 minutes into the movie and if no one turned up, they would switch the lamp off. So it'd still run, but you just, the lamp, they had to save power. So they turned the lights down in the theater and, oh, well, they were already down, but turned the lamp off in the projector. Just let it run through. And thus the song, The Lights Down Under. (laughs) (laughs) And for whatever reason, this movie actually was in theaters for 18 weeks. That just seemed oddly long, even back in 1990. And it earned a total of $16.2 million during those 18 weeks. Uh, it was made on an estimated budget of $9 million. So, hey, guess what, kids? We turned a profit. It was the 78th movie overall in the year 1990. Does anybody know what the number one movie in 1990 was? Uh, Dances with Wolves? Nope, nope. Days of Thunder? Nope, nope. Uh, Ghost? Ghost, yeah, very good, Shane. I'm proud of you there. Had to be one of them, or was Pretty Woman was going to be my next guest. No, I think that was number two, if I remember right. They only saw Ghost because of Unchained Melody's song. Uh, I'm pretty yes. sure. What's funny is in the in the 78th position in 1990, it was just behind great movies like Tremors and Tales from the Dark Side, the movie, and just <laughs> ahead of. The Guardian and Shane's favorite uh, movie about, um, I guess, music, Mo Better Blues. Oh, the Spike Lee movie. I have seen it, but a long time ago. I was hoping you were going to say Loose Cannons. That came out in 1990. It did. It did. It was right there in the same realm as this one. When year was Face Off, by the way? Was that this year? 93, something like that. It's like in 93 or 94. I swore it was something, 90, but... something like that, yeah. Okay, yep. never mind. Ignore me. Okay. Let's see. <laughs> Internet and Movie Database gives this one a 6 out of 10. Metascore gives it a 34. 87% of the Google robots like this movie. Uh, Voodoo. Voodoo even comes in on the ratings today. It gives it a 4.1 out of 5. And Shane's former employers, wink, wink, at Rotten Tomatoes, <laughs> Has a 30% critic score and a 45% audience score. And that is the tale of the tape for our movie today, Men at Work. Well, in the 1980s, I was a huge fan of Emilio Estevez and Charlie Sheen. The Breakfast Club, Red Dawn, Platoon, and Young Guns are just a few of their films that I have viewed many, many, many times throughout my life. However, I have zero recollection of today's flick being released in theaters unlike chris i don't even remember seeing a trailer anywhere before renting it on vhs uh, for my local video stop after that initial viewing i probably watched men at work a dozen times on the cable movie stations throughout the early 90s finding minutes after minutes of sophomoric humor in each viewing and i love my sophomoric humor what was your experience with Men at Work, Chris? I think we've already given us a hint, so tell us about that experience on the night of August 24th, 1990. Well, at this time, it had three actors that I really liked. Uh, Repo Man is another one by Emilio that I liked. So he had a lot of good films. This was pre-Mighty Ducks, right? What was that, 92? 
No. Uh, it was uh, 91, 92. So, but, uh, so no, he was, I enjoyed his films. Charlie Sheen wasn't terribly crazy at that point, but he was in the, the Wraith and right. uh, Major League and he was in E.T. and he was in all these other great films. He was under the, the alien costume, Shane. If Charlie Sheen was in E.T., I must have missed that. <laughs> no, he was not in E.T. <laughs> he was dressed up as Drew Barrymore. Right. But, and also Keith David, I mean... He's great in everything. Is is he the one who's still doing most of the work these days? Yeah, it's not David Keith. It's Keith David. Yeah, which what did I say? You're, no, uh, you got it right. Oh, okay. he's David is the one working. David Keith is not. He's he's in Rick and Morty. He plays the president. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. So, what did you think of the movie on uh, your initial viewing that August night? Well, it was exactly what I was, I was expecting. You know, you, you you knew you weren't going to get a major story. And that's not what these boys are about, especially when he's making it with his brother. They're probably like, hey, let's make some money, goof around, and hire some people that we enjoy. And um, I'll let you talk about Dean. But uh, <laughs> I think that everybody seemed to actually have a lot of fun in this film. The two, right the two hitmen with the license plate hitman – I mean, come on. It was a goofy film, and that's exactly what they gave us. Okay, Shane A., were you in the theaters on Australia in Australia on September the 20th of 1990 when this movie was released down there? I can't find my book where I have all my dates uh, at the, you know, for the movies I saw as a kid, but I know I saw it when it was a new release, so it would have been around that time, Chad. I did, did see it on the big screen. I know where I saw it, which was in George Street in Sydney. And um, those cinemas still exist, but just in a different format. I like, um, remember, I liked it a lot, actually, back in the day, a lot, because it was just funny and it was right up my alley and I was the right age. And uh, it sat with me for a long time because I have the VHS and I always used to recommend it when I worked in the video shop. And I think you, when you said before that it went, you know, what, for 16 weeks in the cinemas or something? Yeah. Uh, it's no surprise, even back then, because, you know, it would have had word of mouth. It wouldn't have had a big uh, advertising campaign when it first came out, you wouldn't think. So people would have started to see it, enjoy it, and then word of mouth got around, and that's why it lasted so long. It's just that kind of feel-good, funny, outrageous comedy, and not all of it works today, but overall I think it, it was very funny back in the day. Are you telling me shit exploding out of a locker does not hold up today, Shane? Uh, no, not really. And I think, I, you know what surprised me? I don't want to jump too far ahead, but they only say golf clap once in the movie. I thought it was a bit more than that. Because that was like in the trailer and everything, and I always thought they said it at least a couple of times, but it was only the once. Well, the air must have been just right for drinking back in 1990, having my colleagues going out to see this movie. Uh, that's good to hear that somebody was at the theater because, like I said, I didn't even know this damn thing existed. <laughs> hey, it is what it is. Well, based on my reading, Emilio came up with the premise of Men at Work during the filming of St. Elmo's Fire and was planning to use his friend and former castmate Judd Nelson in the role of Carl. Ultimately, oh, really? Yes, sir. Emilio uh, 
ultimately Emilio and his brother Charlie Sheen collected the lead roles in this film. I uh, have to ask you, Shane A., what did you think of the brothers Estevez as Carl and James, respectively? And did they deserve a golf clap for their performances? <laughs> uh, they had a lot of fun, you can tell. Um, I think their performances were pretty good. Just watching it, you know, recently, this week, again. And, uh, yeah, no, you can tell that they were sort of smiling in the background at each other. But they were sticking to the script, mostly. I wouldn't imagine that much of this was ad-libbed at all. Uh, or improvised throughout, but it was good. I think they have a great connection on screen, as you saw in Young Guns, and they also appeared in Never on Tuesday, a very unknown film from the uh, from late 80s, about 87 and 88, that came out. So I like their performances in this, and they, they go well together. Yeah, their uh, work together in Young Guns, you could almost think that they actually hated each other as well as they pulled that off and as dick and billy the kid yeah. um uh, i thought they did a great job and that one and it does carry over into this film where they oh, since they're brothers they know each other very well and they're able to naturally feed off of one another that's why i think some of their dialogue comes off so naturally and not forced at all and you don't even think they're acting at some points in time and there, if you remember or um, might not remember i watched Loaded Weapon 1 again recently. Of course, Emilio's in it, Samuel L. Jackson. But there's a little cameo from Charlie in it. So they act together in that as well. Right, right. Did the both did of them ever act with their dad, all three of them in one movie? Oh, I, man. I don't think so. No, not that I'm aware of, but I didn't look that up. Sorry. No, I don't. I can't think of a movie either, but that doesn't necessarily mean it. they didn't, but. So what did you think of the brothers Estevez in this film, Chris? Once again, it was exactly what I would expect. Um, they're, they're not brothers in the film, but their camaraderie, you can tell they're brothers, you know? So uh, I think that they worked well together. They're, they're kind of a dual garbage men who were basically the same type of guys, but dumber, <laughs> if that's possible. Uh, so it was a lot of repeating the same stuff. So they had this little um, dynamic down, and they repeated it between them, their co-workers, and the hitmen. I mean, all three were basically the same two characters just playing on different sides of the of the ball. Yeah, it's interesting seeing so many pairs go up against each other, or against Carl and James in this one. You got the cops, you got their co-workers, you got the hitmen. Uh, it was like a bad uh, tag team wrestling match from this day and age where you have so many people going against each other. It was it was fascinating to watch and different perspectives. We didn't get enough of the cops, but we saw too much of them. <laughs> I think uh, they got pissed on eventually, which is all that mattered. So It's a dog-eat-dog world. That's all I got to say. They reminded me of the cops in, is it Reno 911 or yeah. something? Yes. <laughs> that that show still holds up pretty well. It does. It does. It's more racist than I remember rewatching it. But Well, one of the true joys I found in this film is a performance of Keith David as Lewis Fetters, James and Carl's uh, performance evaluator, for lack of a, lack of a better description. Uh, Mr. David had many memorable, memorable lines in this film, as usual, and he brought uh, a sense of authenticity to the role. Uh, what was your opinion of Keith David in this film, Chris? And 
Have you ever thrown away a perfectly good white boy? Number of times. I don't recycle. <laughs> I guess that's not environmentally friendly, but neither is this film. But, uh, you know, he uh, he's always great in everything he does. So he's fun to watch. Um, I've lost my train of thought. I was going to say something about him, too. Uh, oh, well. I The end. Well, if you think of it before I finish, all I'll say is that he's the funniest thing in the movie. He's he's the funniest, has the best lines, he has the most presence of anyone else when he arrives on screen. He's, and he's just hilarious. And you can, even when he goes nuts and the pizza guy comes in, I thought that was a little bit too much. But overall, I love Keith David in this and he reminded me of when he was sitting there to begin with in the garbage truck of the uh, the driving instructor in License to Drive that puts his coffee on the dashboard. Um, he reminded me of that guy. So There's a film yeah. we need to review. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, Keith, Keith David, he's still acting now, as I think you touched on before, Chad, and he's funny now. He does drama, drama action. He's done it all, and he's just got that voice and that face and – yeah, really, really admire his work. And in this, as I said, I think he's the funniest out of everybody. His storyline wasn't really resolved, though. No. I, I wanted to know what what happened the next day. Did he give him a good review? It doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. But, nah. you know, did uh, did the, he live happily ever after with the pizza kid? <laughs> you don't know. Because... That is one of the funny things about this one is he just comes in and he's like a force of nature that's disrupting Carl and James's work life. And eventually he gets into their private life and he's so essential to the storyline because he's sort of motivating them to move forward, uh, both in their work and in their personal life to try to resolve their issues. But then they sort of just dump him, not Carl and James, but the story just sort of dumps him and he gets stuck with the pizza boy, which I couldn't stand being near that pizza jackass for any reason, but that's a different story we'll get to in a minute. But, uh, I've just felt bad. I'm like you, Chris, I wish they could have resolved, uh, his Lewis's uh, storyline in this one. It gave him a little bit more towards the end. It sucks because he has the best material. And it without, I can't even imagine somebody else taking his role and it even mm. being remotely interesting. So he definitely, he added everything to this film that it needed and they dropped the ball with him. They did. They did. And what's funny is his brother-in-law, Cy Richardson, and who plays the direct supervisor. If anybody ever saw the, what they they call the nudie musical back from around 1980, it was called fairy tales. He plays a character in that. And that dude is a genius actor in that film. So go look that one up and watch it sometime. Hilarious. But, Good to see Cy Richardson in this film. Oh, I thought you were talking about Dean Cameron. Oh, here we go. <laughs> okay, uh, okay. Well, <laughs> can I just say, if we're recasting that role, what about uh, Michael Keaton? He was in the top of his game around this period. He still is now, obviously, but he would have been good in the Would he have gone David from role. Batman to this, though? <laughs> well, that's true. I was made around the same, well, the same time. Because Batman was 89? Yeah. So yeah, they yep. definitely were filmed at the same time. But no, but I he think... he would have been fine too. 
I don't know yeah, they, who would be a crazier like, ex-Vietnam guy. Maybe Mr. T, but he wouldn't have been as entertaining as. And I think they were going with the angry black man approach to it as well. Uh, so they could throw in the white boy jokes. Who, uh, who's the actor who played Shonuff? I'm his name is escaping me in Last Dragon. Um, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I can't remember. He yeah, could have right, done. Yeah, that actor. He, he would have been would've great. Been I, I like him as an actor, and yeah. I like him so much I can't remember his name right now. <laughs> Way to go, Chris. It's just one word, isn't it? His name. Shonuff is Shalimar. Ch- that's it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Shalimar. Gotcha. Well, Men of Work is a very complex film that tackles dirty politics, evil corporations, environmental safety, and the role of low-income workers in society. Are you saying this film has layers like an onion? It does. It does, Chris. But I have to get to the point here. Ultimately, why was Dean effing Cameron in this film, and where does he rank in the gallery of goofy characters that Emilio included in this flick? And I'll ask you first, Shane. Well... Keith Dave was the one who ordered pepperoni (laughs) when it was delivered. uh, It happened to be Dean Cameron, the pizza man. Oh, look, I don't know. He annoyed me a lot. I don't want to bag him too much because that was the style of comedy for this movie, I think. But not not a fan. Not a fan. Uh, Me either. Me either. I'll get to this. Uh, How about you, Chris? What did you think of Mr. Cameron as the pizza man? Look, he's here for the tension breaker and that has to be done. So uh, he, he was very necessary. He was essential to this. Yes. Yes. Um, But no, there was no reason for him to be in this film. I I don't dislike him like you do. I I think he's fine for eighties comedies, but um, he didn't need to be in this film. He was annoying in summer school as well. Oh, he was worse. In, he was like a featured person in summer school, <laughs> whereas this one, he was a small role, which I think fit him better. Because here's the thing about this guy. So when I was a kid, I loved the movie Fast Times at Ridgemont High, still do to this day. Yep. So come out with a TV show called Fast Times and try to bank off of it. And who do they cast this jackass as? They cast this guy as jeff spicoli well this he was on pot right i'm pretty sure yeah exactly uh he, this guy is not jeff spicoli okay so then they put him in that very good movie i like summer school we reviewed it here recently on movie house memories uh excuse me the lunchtime review movie review for the mhm podcast network and he's okay but he's annoying throughout the whole movie but you gotta understand the character he was mentally challenged but then they put him in this really, really bad horror movie called Bad Dreams uh, as sort of a side character. And he was horrible in that. But then we get to the movie Ski School. This is where I really start to hate this guy. There's a nice ripoff of, say, Hot Dog going towards this movie. But they we put Dean effing Cameron in as like the main guy, as uh, the leader of the pack, if you will. And he's not funny. He's not anything he's just an annoying human being who they put in these movies and then once again they do it in this movie he has no reason to be in here they could have cast anybody off the street to play the pizza man but no it's dean effing cameron and i cannot stand this dude and if he's listening which i know he isn't i can't stand you so keep acting keep making money but you're a terrible actor anyway 
Well, I don't, he, he's probably more charismatic in person. I don't think his charm comes through on film. Um, but they definitely could have cast anybody like one of the Corys, I think would have been great. Um, Alex winter. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there, there's, nice. there's lots of eighties, uh, teen actors. Um, I don't know if they would be a little too young, but anybody in empire records, you know, well, what I was thinking is for fun, they could have made a phone call to their good friend, Casey Zemesco, who was in young guns with them. There's a dude who does good comedy in movies. I mean, he's a quality actor. They could have had fun with Casey in this role because it doesn't ask for much. And they could have just had fun with him. And, but no, they picked this dude up who I guess is supposed to look young and nerdy and a pizza boy who wouldn't have any real aspirations in life. But hey, it is what it is. I'll, I'll, I'll calm down now. They could have cast Bubba. He wasn't doing jack shit at this time. <laughs> Dean would have been mate of Emilio's for a start, you know, growing up in that LA, uh, you know, 80s Brat Pack sort of era. Um, that's one reason he would have got the role and he might've been just a, a smaller role. They might not have kidnapped him, but because he could have run at any time. He just had that tie wrapped around his net mouth. He was hardly constricted at times when that, the, the other three were all running around. <laughs> he just could have left. So I have to ask you gentlemen, since we're talking about the complex, uh, uh, politics and the corp evil corporations in this, Real briefly, what did you guys think of the bad guys in this movie? Uh, mainly the toxic Avenger, for the lack of a better word, is the corporate head of everything. Uh, what did you think, Chris, about this evil guy in his business and his evil henchman? He was your snively whiplash. You know, your mustache twirling villain of the 80s. Greed is good. Um, you've seen the character in, in Die Hard. You've seen it in... Uh, Wall Street, you've seen it done so many times much better. He, he's just a caricature, caricature of all these 80s films. He was pretty weak. I mean, they just basically dumped him. Well, where were they dumping this? Was it in a lake? Uh, originally, I thought it was in the ocean, but it, it's just like some California lake is what they were dumping it into. I was taking it as the ocean as well at first, but then when they got to just pushing him down that little slide. I think yeah. it was sort of like a retention pond that was probably feeding into the ocean. Uh, ultimately. He's what like, think he's of? like the doctor. No, of James Bond villains. There you go. <laughs> What'd you think of the bad guys in this one, Shane? I, I, I like the first 45 minutes of the movie and the second 45 of the minutes. I was, I just lost interest. I <laughs> got through it, but the, they were insignificant and meant nothing. They weren't that villainy or scary or I, I wasn't invested in their characters at all. I didn't, you know, it wasn't about them really. It was just about the, the three bumbling, the two garbage collectors in there. They're our ex Vietnam mate. I it did was... enjoy on the beach where the, the one hit man uh, tasered the other guy and said he got hit by lightning or whatever. That was the only thing that really got a chuckle, but yeah, I guess I just, I just didn't connect with them and yeah, it not, not, not great villains. They weren't there for any other reason than to be chased and being fodder. Did any of the music uh, ring a bell with you, uh, Shane, since you're our resident music critic? Oh, I liked the song um, by snap. 
we got the power. That there was you go. good. Um, but no, actually, from memory, I thought there would have been more sort of familiar hits on the soundtrack than there was. There was. Yeah, because I saw UB40 had a song, and like you said, Snap was on there, but I didn't recognize any of the rest of the music when I was re-watching it this time. Yeah, I was prepared to sort of pick up on a few of the songs, but you're right. Um, no, there weren't big hits, obviously, that came out of it, or just ones I wasn't aware of, other than um, The Power by Snap. It left more time for Dean's delightful voice. Uh. <laughs> Well, there was reggae in it too at some point, and that's my most hated type of music. So, again, I probably tuned out. There you go. Well, do you guys have anything else you want to add to this one? Nope. Yes. Well, they're supposed to be surfers, and you could tell they weren't surfers, <laughs> put it that way, from a surfer to, a, to another. Is this the, the surfboard comment, by the way they're holding them? Um, they were holding them the right way when they were um, on that so-called beach, which I don't think it was a beach, but because you only saw the long shot, you didn't actually see them near water. And they didn't really put their boards in the sand properly. When you put your board in the sand, you do it a certain way. Uh, they just sort of stuck theirs in directly vertical. So, But, yeah, you could tell they weren't surfers. Uh, does did they not have a sex wax T-shirt on? Did that mean anything? <laughs> well, they did their um their wetsuits up properly. That can okay. also be a dead giveaway. Gotcha, gotcha. From coveralls to a wetsuit, that's, that's what everyone's dreaming. <laughs> All right, well, let's go around the table here, boys. We have to ask the question that we ask every episode. Does minute work stand the test of time? And I'll start with you, Chris. For me, it stands the test of time. It's the same film I remember. It's it's dated. Um, but this is actually in the category of one of my guilty pleasures. I know it's a terrible film. It's only two stars out of five for me. But uh, I still enjoy it. It's why I saw it in the film. It, it's just stupid humor, and I still enjoy it to this day. So for me, it's going to stand the test of time. How about you, Shane? Uh, a bit like Chris, it's two stars out of five for me too, and I didn't like it anywhere near as much as I remember it. Uh, it started off the first 40, 45 minutes or so was was great. You know, I had good laughs in it, in it. but when all the, the chasing and the political stuff started and they were just, it was just a bit monotonous and unfunny towards the end. And, yeah, I wanted to know more about Lewis, what happened to Keith David's character, et cetera. I didn't like it that much, unfortunately. And uh, one once is enough when it comes to tying someone up on a merry-go-round, on a carousel, nude, or in their boxes. That was kind of funny the first time, even though it's politically incorrect now. But when they when it happened twice or three times, it just yeah didn't work for me. I don't, I don't know what politics you're looking at, but I think it's funny every time. It was hilarious. Okay. <laughs> just kidding. Okay, yeah, I must agree uh, with both of you. This one, uh, it reminds me of everything I remember about it from the 90s. It's cool in the beginning, especially the first half, and really sort of dies off in the second half especially when we start hooking up Carl and Leslie Hope's character. I really don't care about those two at all in the grand scheme of it, which is just what was supposed to be the premise in a way. But oh well. 
Uh, yeah, I think it just barely stands the test of time because I'm like Chris. This is the movie I remember it being. Uh, I remember all the lines. I remember all the hits and the moments. Uh, but still, I was really bored with it for a change. And like when I was watching it in the 90s, I was never really ever bored. I enjoyed the sophomoric humor, but just didn't quite sit with me. But it's not so bad that I'll say it doesn't stand the test of time. Is there another 80s film, I want to say with John Cusack, where they use the line, throwing away a perfectly good white boy? Am I making that up? <sighs> better off dead. Is that better off dead? There you go. Yeah, it's better off dead when he's in a garbage truck and then two guys say it when he drives past. Yeah. Uh, and can I just quickly mention Leslie Hope? We didn't really talk about her. She go was ahead. all right. She was along for the ride and funny at times. And the only thing I had a problem with is she fell for Charlie Sheen pretty quickly, mm -hmm. very quickly, and then went on the run with him and on this wild sort of night with him. So either she was really desperate for action or, or she just, that was how it was written, obviously. But This is 80s Charlie. Cool. You can't, uh, can't uh, resist the charm. Well, he was in his prime then. I've got to say he mm -hmm. was on a roll with all the movies he was doing and he was looking he was good. I mean, back hot then. shots especially. Yeah, he was a wild thing. I did enjoy yeah. when she slapped him. That that little scene cracked me up back in the day, and it cracks me up now, <laughs> where she pauses, slaps him, and then, all right, let's go. Yeah, that, that kind of works. You know, they, she also had a bit of chemistry with, with him. And the little, the Emilio Estevez was also obviously uh, referencing uh, Rear Window, which I thought was quite amusing <laughs> as well. So, yeah, the first half is great. It just loses it, unfortunately. Well, that does it for our review of Men at Work. All of our MHM Podcast Network reviews can be found exclusively on our YouTube channel. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel to be alerted to all of our newest releases. While on YouTube, give us a thumbs up and leave a brief comment about today's film and review. And Chris and I check out all of those, so check us out. Give us a comment. If you feel so inclined please follow the mhm podcast network on twitter and pinterest at mhm memories if you can't find a copy of men at work in a neighborhood trash pile head over to our website moviehousememories.com once there look for men at work in our feed and you will find an amazon link that allows you to purchase your very own copy is it easy to find i mean in australia it's pretty rare i've got a dvd copy yeah, it's easy to find here either. It's a, uh, I have it on our website, uh, the Amazon link, and it's currently $65. Right. And yeah. if you're listening, $65 is too much for this film. 65 American is uh, about 90 Australian. So, yeah, way too much. For that price, Charlie better show up and give you a hand job. With the but if you're a collector, please go and buy it and put it in your collector. Put your collection. Trust us. You'll want it in your collection and buy it from us. And lastly, please let us know what you think of this podcast in the comments section on our website and rate it from one to five stars on that page. If there are films you would like for us to review, please send us an email. You can reach us at comments at moviehousememories.com. Until next time, I am Chad. I'm Chris. I'm Shane. And I can hear the trash truck coming down the road, so we better get out of here. You are invited. 
This podcast is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The theme song for Lunchtime Movie Review, Fireworks, is brought to you by Alexander Nakarada at SerpentSoundStudios.com under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 license. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of Lunchtime Movie Review, the MHM Podcast Network, and Fuzzy Bunny Slippers Entertainment, LLC, unless otherwise noted.